I am the potter. You are the clay. Nothing is impossible for me. It is my desire to make my people altogether lovely. Flaws and imperfections are not impossible to me. It is my plan and my purpose to make my people perfect. I am the creator. I am the designer. I am the potter. When I place my hands on your life, it will become new. I have designed each of you as a particular type of vessel. No two of you are alike. When you come into my presence, I see beautiful vessels designed for just the purpose I foreordained. Allow me to shape you. Allow me to do the shaping. There is no mold. I shape you exactly as I wish. I have made you to stand out in the world, not to blend in. Each of you are unique in design and purpose. And there was more, but that's what I, I felt that he would have for you. Now I want to ask the Lord's blessing on this. This is what the Lord had given me, and I bantered it back with it. I thought, Lord, I don't know how this fits, but here goes. And it's the story of Rizpah in the Old Testament. And so I'm asking right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, for your anointing, I bow my knee unto you, Holy Spirit, that you would have your voice, oh God, in this word. Let it go forth and do what you sent it to do. In Jesus' name I pray, and to you I will give all the glory. Amen. Okay, being the anal kind of person that I am, I have to give you the background for the story. I just get so annoyed when somebody starts to speak something out of the Bible and you have not a clue where they're at or what they're talking about. So we're going to go back a few years to, to get the background for the story of Rizpah, which is found in 2 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 14. The background... 400 years prior to this story of Rizpah, which in Joshua 9, the Israelites crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. They had a resounding victory at Jericho. Then they suffered defeat at Ai because of the sin of Achan. We're probably all familiar with that. But Achan had taken a cursed thing, a Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, 50 shekels of, uh, uh, 100 shekels of silver and 50 shekels of gold and hid them in his tent. Joshua was God's appointed leader during this time, and this defeat just floored him. In Joshua 7, 6, it reads, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And he then began a little, why have you brought us here to deliver us to the enemy so that they could destroy us? And, oh, that we had been content on the other side of the Jordan. Our enemies will surely take us now. So he's having a little bit of a pity party. And anybody that has walked with God for any length of time, you will love this part because I love God's response. And haven't we all had this? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, 
and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. So God, when things are going wrong, he does not want you to whine, and God will tell you, get off your face, quit whining, get up there. You know, we are called as an army. We are soldiers in the army of God. We're not little wimps that are going to hide around in the foxholes and wonder what's happening on the outside. He says, get out there. I'm with you. I'm with you. So Joshua handled the problem and went on to subsequent military victories. The Israelites were feared by the inhabitants of Canaan, and the Gibeonites, who were living in Canaan, wanted to survive. They didn't want, the Israelites were coming in, and they were just cleaning house. So anyway, they devised a plan, and they tricked Joshua into a treaty. They pretended that they they wore old shabby clothes, and they had old moldy bread in their bags, and they come in riding, looking like they had just traveled forever. They said they were from a far-off country, and they wanted a treaty that he would protect them. They were willing to come in as carriers of wood and drawers of water. They would come in as servants to the children of Israel just to be protected. This was the fear that was upon the land of Canaan because of the Israelites. And so Joshua made an agreement with the Gibeonites. He gave them an agreement in the Lord. God, our God, is a covenant God. When you marry, you enter a covenant. And we're a country of covenant breakers. And God is not pleased. But he is a covenant God. And so the word was given in covenant. So later on, when King, King Saul was, was, came up and became the first king of Israel, it was about 400 years later, he decided that because he had messed up and he had not killed Agag, the king that he was supposed to have killed, he goes out and he slays these Gibeonites. He was going, it was an ethnic cleansing. He was cleaning them out. He did not want them in the land of Canaan. So he began to do this ethnic cleansing. And they were innocent. They, this should not have happened. So now we're going to get to the story. While Saul was out on his crusades, he had taken Rizpah as a concubine and she bore him two sons. And as a concubine, she had very little status or very, influ- very little influential power. Concubines were considered secondary wives. In reality, they were no more than slaves. They were usually captives. She had to shave her head. She had to trim her nails. She had to put off the clothes that that identified her with her people. And she remained in mourning for a month because she was never going to see her mother or father again, her family. She was taken captive. And Saul had taken Rizpah, and she was a very lovely girl. And if after you were taken captive, 
and became a concubine, if they didn't like you after a month, if your cooking wasn't that good or what else, they could let you go. And then they could not sell you or brutalize you in any way. They could let you go. But this was Rizpah's story. She had been taken, and she was Saul's concubine. She had two sons by Saul. And now we're in our text, 2 Samuel 21. And it says, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years. Now David becomes king. Saul has been killed. And the, the house of Saul is just out there. They're, they're basically, David hasn't done anything to them. But he is now the ruler. It says, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. Because when something's not going right, inquire of the Lord. When things go wrong, I'm going to stop right here. When things are going wrong in your life, when things are, somehow you're going on the decline, you better inquire of the Lord. When, when When the momentum shifts, when you can feel the hand of God is no longer, the wind is not at your at your back. When you, when you come to those places in your spiritual life, you better inquire of the Lord because he may make you go back and do something different. I have a daughter that has done that. She made a, a move and was in a relationship. One of my daughters now is not Laura. <laughs> I have six daughters. But she, she made a, a, a relationship She was in an unholy alliance. And all of a sudden, her job, her health, da-da, da-da, da-da. I told her, I said, go back. Go back and see where you missed it. Something's wrong. Jesus does not leave you. You leave him. And we leave him sometimes out of our plans. We make the plans, and he's not happy with that. And you will go back. He is sovereign God. He knows, he said the Bible in Matthew, it says he numbers the hair, your hair on your head is numbered. If one of the hairs fall out of your head, he can say that was 7,650 or 53,580, every hair on your head is numbered. That's how meticulous our God is. That's how awesome that he is. Anyway, Saul has... David has come and inquired of the Lord and said, the Lord began to answer David, and he said, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites, and he spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, as we know, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And what will and with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, Whatever you say, I will do for you. Then they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us, and plotted against us that we should be destroyed 
from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, who was the son of Jonathan. Remember the covenant that Jonathan had. The son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, but between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth. Now there's another Mephibosheth, and this is Saul's son. And Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aya. Now, pay attention to the name of this one son. Armoni means belonging to the palace. That's significant later on. This is the, the two sons whom she bore to Saul, and she took the five sons of Mirab. And your Bible might say Michael, but that is, it is Mirab. Michael was barren. She had no children. Mirab, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholathite. So this concubine had not only, she had her own two sons. And she related that one son to belonging to the palace. She named him that. And so she, and she also raised the five sons of, the five grandsons of Saul. I have no idea how old these, these grandsons were. They may have been young, they may have been older, I don't know. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest. In the first days, even the beginning of barley harvest, which would be our April, and the harvest would not end until October. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, took sackcloth, and she spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beast of the field by night. So this mother, I want you just to get the picture. This mother, her two sons, and I was reading about the hanging. It may not have been a hanging like we think about the, the rope around the neck like the old western things. It may have been something like a crucifixion. It may, be an, it may have been a, a dismemberment. They may have been, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right, a gibbet or a gibbet. Where is anyone who knows that? And it's, it was like a cage that they put people in to, be, to publicly display them. You could see them in there, but they just left them in there. They were to be shamed. This one belonging to the palace, this one this mother loved, and her son Mephibosheth, and the, the five little grandsons that she has raised, and she sees them there, maybe dismembered or whatever, because it talks later on about their bones being gathered. But she's literally beat the birds off of them so that they wouldn't pluck their eyes out. And she, she fought off the wild beasts at night because she didn't want 
the beast to tear their whatever was left of their flesh. And she sat there and she watched the deterioration of the flesh for five months, maybe a little bit more. That's a long time. And imagine how you would feel. Just think about your son or your daughter hanging there. And there's a, just like Mary did at the foot of the cross, and to, to watch Jesus and not be able to do one thing. There was nothing that she could do. But she wanted her sons to have an honorable burial. They had not done anything personally. But she wanted them to be honored, even though they were gone. She wanted some satisfaction. And David was told what Rizba, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. Then David went, and he took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the streets of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul in Gilboa. The king came. She was waiting for the acknowledgement. She wanted an honorable burial for her sons that she had sat there all these months and she had fought for. She had fought to just keep what little there was of them because it was such a curse to have been hung out like that and not buried. So he brought the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there, and they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. And they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zelah, in the tomb of Kish, his father. So they performed all that the king commanded, and after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. And so I thought, Lord, that's a marvelous story. But all of a sudden, he said, no, there's more. There's more. And he said, you've not hit it yet. And so as I began to pray, the Lord began to remind me of parents that come to our church that have children and loved ones that are out there that don't know the Lord. They're in bad positions. They want an honorable. They want them to be remembered honorably, not to be dishonored, not to be shamed. And the Lord said, I want you to remind them that before you came to Christ, before I came to Christ, we were just like those deteriorating before the eyes of Rizpah. You were there. You were there. And someone stood in the gap for you. Someone prayed against the vultures. And the vultures are the demon spirits that come to feed on the works of the flesh. Someone stood in the gap for you. And some mothers stand and they watch their children deteriorating, being caught, their foot in the trap, and they're caught into drugs, and they're caught into illicit sex, and they're into all of these things, and they need the mothers and the fathers to stand in the gap and don't give up. She stood out there for five months on her son, the sackcloth, and she, she beat those things away. And I'm telling you, sometimes we have to come to that place with our loved ones. 
ones. You have to come and you have to make your stand. And you command those evil things to get away from your loved ones. Because there are, just like that, they, they hovered around those corpses right there. Your loved ones that do not know the Lord are dead in their trespasses and sins. And that's Ephesians 2, 1 at 7 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up together, and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he's taken us from that place of shame, and from that place of death, and from that place where the, the vultures and the wild beasts have been after us, which are the evil spirits, and the the wild beasts are the tormenting spirits which feed off of our carnal thoughts and the, the God took us from that place and gave us life and so we have to associate and the Lord was associating us with that which Rizba did we need more Rizbas in the spirit that will stand against the forces of the enemy and we don't let our loved ones just go don't just look at them like oh they're going to be all right because I'm telling you they they have not had an experience with Jesus Christ they're ever been as dead as those sons and those grandsons of Saul and Rizba they're just that dead and we need to, I, and the, this is the thing that the Lord is wanting to give you, a direction in prayer. Sometimes we need this thing. Sometimes when you see somebody and they look okay, and they're just sort of half getting along, you don't think about them, you don't pray about them, you don't come before the Lord with tears and with fasting and pray and beat those things away from them because we have, we have the authority in Jesus Christ to come against unholy alliances, to come against the, the demons of drugs and all of this thing, this witchcraft. And you need to separate yourself from it and pray for those that are bound by it. And so this is the thing that the Lord, and I'm thinking, Lord, just give us a, a new picture of this. And then I was reminded of a, a niece of mine who was raised in Oregon. And she came to my house, and I had heard that she was having a problem with drugs. She was 13. Her name was Kim. She was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Long, blonde, naturally curly hair, big blue eyes. She was a gorgeous girl. And she was she got involved with drugs. And, of course, the family, we just, we just had no experience with anything like that. And so we didn't, you know, the, my, my thing, and I was kind of young in the Lord, but I thought, you know, I'll just tell her, you know, you need to get things right with the Lord. So I went to her, and I said, Kim, you know what you've been doing is not right. And I said, you need Jesus Christ in your life. And she says, she, she, she just said, oh, Aunt Linda, Aunt Linda, I know that. She says, but not yet. 
not yet. I will, but not yet. And so when she was about 18, I saw her again. And she looked like she was 80. I could not believe. They said, you will not recognize Kim. And my heart was broken. She had, she looked like, seriously, she even walked like she was 80. And she has totally spent in drugs. There was no time to make it right. Because, you know, people think, well, I can come to God anytime I want to come. No. You will only come when the Father draws you. You cannot just come when you decide. But it's when you feel the tug of the Spirit of the Lord drawing you, the Father must draw you. And a few years later, they buried her. And so I I don't even know why that I am telling you this or why the Lord has led this this way. But I'm speaking to you, Rhonda, that God understands that you have been Rizpah. And Connie, you have been Rizpah. Nancy has been. Elizabeth Watson has been. When you stand, you will not give up. You will not give up until that child that belongs to the palace comes back. Just keep praying. Keep walking in faith. And realize that you have the authority to break off bondages of people. You know, when when Robert Perbat was here and he talked about we expect people to walk with the Lord and how can they walk when their foot is in the trap? We can open those traps. God has given us authority to set the captives free. So I don't know who this is for. I don't know where you'll carry it. But I want you to remember that those around you that do not know the Lord are there for shame. The enemy has purposed nothing but shame. He never wants them to know the palace. He never wants them to experience the courts of the Lord. He does not. And we have to be the Rizpahs. Spread out the sackcloth and get on your knees before the Lord and come before him with tears and plead for your loved ones. I have grandchildren that I'm doing that for. It's not hopeless because the king will come. The king will come. And as you pray, he will honor that. As we bring our loved ones before him, he will honor, he will move. And, you know, I just think of how that even people that have walked with the Lord and sometimes, you know, we get off the, we get off the, the path. And I, I, one of the stories that, because I kept saying, Lord, 
I don't know where you're going with this. Why Rizpah, Lord? Why not Samson? He said, well, read Samson. Read about him again. And, you know, I think Samson sometimes, <laughs> you know, he gets kind of a bad... Um, there's some things about him that people just judge him wrong. You know, he is listed in Hebrews as one of the men of faith. And he's a hero. But Samson allowed the gifting that was in him, he, he began to use it for his own satisfaction. And the first thing, you know, I think uh, what, the thing that the Lord took me to was, well, for, there was one thing I has, always have to get in there when I talk about Samson. Many people miss, they miss this when they're reading about Samson. <clears throat> his mother and dad did not understand the call on his life. They really didn't. They knew about it because the angel of the Lord had told them that he was going to begin delivering Israel. But all of a sudden now, he takes off. He wants to go lead his people, and he goes over to Timnah because he sees this girl over there that he really, really likes, and he wants to have her for his wife. And his parents could not understand what was going on with him. But that scripture says but they did not understand that it was God that had put that desire in him, not a desire to sin, but a desire to go down to Philistine territory because he was going to get an occasion. He was to deliver Israel. So it wasn't all, this the desire to go down there was of the Lord. How he carried it out and how he ended up was not necessarily all in the plan of the Lord. But, you know, people think when, they, when they've known the Lord that they can just come back any time that they want, which as long as there's breath and the Spirit of the Lord's moving on you, you can come back. But, the, what, but three things that, I, that the Lord began to deal with me about Samson with this, to end this up. Three things happened to him after he was deceived and Delilah had cut his hair. And by the way, the power wasn't in the hair. The power was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't in his hair. That was, a, that was an act of obedience to keep his hair. That was part of his Nazarite vow. But the first thing that happened to them, him is that they blinded him. They gouged out his eyes. The first thing that happens to God's people when they begin to backslide, they lose their vision. They have a loss of their moral perspective, but they lose their vision. And, you know, there's been times, I know in my own life, that I need my vision renewed. When you need a fresh vision, when our vision becomes dull, or, or, or we just kind of give up on it. But sometimes we need to have the Holy Spirit just revive that in us again. But the first thing they did, it was the binding came. And he, he was lost his vision. Then the blinding. And then next was the binding. He lost his freedom. Christians lose their mobility in the spirit. They're no longer moved by the spirit. Samson was moved by the spirit. 
And that's when he went and made war against the Philistines is when he was moved by the Spirit of the Lord. And when you begin to walk away from God or you begin to let your experience cool down, you will lose your freedom. You will lose the mobility in the Spirit. And then the last thing is that the grinding comes because you know that they, they tied him up to the, or chained him up to the grinding mill. And what happened with him there is you get the sense of futility. Backsliders, if you backslide, you will eventually commit suicide. You will backslide. You will, it goes down because you will lose your sense of, you will have a sense of futility. You'll be, it'll be such a boredom and such a lack of purpose in your life. And the enemy, his plan is to take you right to the grave. He will cut your hamstrings and make it unable, you to, unable to do anything. But then pretty soon you just, you just lose your whole desire to do anything. And so this is what, what happens. I have no clue, Holy Spirit, why this message. But Lord, I trust you. And it may be that you'll carry this right out somewhere. Lord. Give us a vision, Lord. Give us a vision and a love for the lost, oh God. We know that zombies, oh God, are a real popular thing right now, Lord Jesus, but these aren't even zombies, oh Lord. They're staked and bound for shame. And God, I pray that you will stir our hearts, Jesus. Let us become the most evangelistic church, oh God. Let each one of us, almighty God, run with the message, Jesus, for we know you're coming soon. Lord, you're preparing your church. Father, I just commit the result of this word, Lord Jesus, into your hands, Holy Spirit. Carry it. Apply it, O God. And let these mothers, Lord Jesus, that have prayed for their children so long, it's not hopeless. God is able. He is more than able. And if he, uh, the king, heard of Rizpah, oh, surely the Lord that watches the little sparrow when he falls to the ground, oh, how much more he hears your heart cry. So let us make that cry from this church, oh, God, for your lost. The ones, oh, God, that you are calling, oh, Lord Jesus, even in these last moments of time, oh, God. Now, Jesus, bless this people, O oh God, and keep them in your care, O oh Lord Jesus, I pray.